Hello, one and all, and welcome to yet another installment of Frivolous Gravitas. I am Christopher Driver, and with me, my loyal co-producer and armchair elocutionist, Mr. Jordan Roy. You could say that better. <laughs> Today, we will be... Oops. Smack the mic during the intro. Today, we will be walking through the reeds and thickets to explore some key concepts on entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial spirit. Um, oftentimes, we find that people have uh, a general sense of malaise or negativity towards people starting small companies or small businesses. Uh, a, a lot of people tend to get discouraged early due to the, the failure rates and success rates of uh, small businesses. But we would like to try and encourage people to realize that failure itself is not um, its not a negative process. It's a learning process. It's more educational, I would posit or suggest that, uh, than actually just studying from a book or going to school because the active engagement and the risk that's attached to the, the work that we're doing generally get, makes us remember our, our missteps and our faults uh, a lot more readily. So as a learning experience for one, but also as, um, as the, the great equalizer among, uh, for income disparity or for um, minority populations or things like that, uh, it, it's one of the best ways that we have to diversify the labor pool and the economy and more evenly distribute the wealth and productivity of the labor that's, uh, that's governed from within the society. So we want to sort of encourage entrepreneurship and the spirit along those lines in today's episode. And to get us started, I'll, uh, I'll just ask Jordan what his thoughts or feelings are on the state of things as they are sort of the culture or the way we perceive or, or sort of look at small businesses or young people starting their own businesses. Um, thanks. Uh, you mentioned that like, it's a good way of equalizing, uh, disparity and it's, um, cause entrepreneurship is really interesting and, uh, it's really, like I said, like you said earlier, it's kind of getting like a, a bit of a short shrift. Um, and this tends to be, um, <clears throat> in my opinion, there's a lot of things that are, you know, there's better alternatives. It's, it's hard. It's, there's this, um, low success rate, as you said, and there's this, the spirit of entrepreneurship, not in itself, but is a kind of a casualty or a collateral damage to this, you know, general hate of business and businessmen and people doing business. Well, business is evil. Why would someone want to make money? Well, the thing is, is that you mentioned e the equalization of income disparity. Well, if you want to make money, you could do like one of two things. You could just get other people to pay you, which is not, you know, giving a man a fish essentially. Uh, and or you can go out and just take it. Um, and this is what we see in a lot of, um, <clears throat> a lot of immigrant families, they come in and they start like a shawarma shop or they start, you know, a sushi joint or they start a cleaning companies and cleaning stuff like company that. or something to get them going. It's like, well, I'll just do some work that I can do. I'll start a company and we'll just do it. And they just take it. And this is, this isn't theft. This isn't anything. This is them like coming in and taking the money by earning it because it's there. And then they put their kids through, you know, college like this, or they put their kids through university and all of a sudden you have this, uh, second, um, 
uh, second generation just uh, of immigrants all has you know degrees and stuff because their parents uh, come over with all this um, entrepreneurial spirit. I'll just open a shop. I'll just do this. Well, why? Well, what do you want to be doing? Well, it doesn't matter. What do I need to be doing to survive? Those things aren't mutually exclusive, but they come over here not to be able to you know have their dreams come true but to not live in you know a third world country where they can't even open that shop having you know that ability to have that entrepreneurial um opportunity for them probably is very very attractive when uh you know all of a sudden there's no point in opening a shop in central africa if some warlord just going to come through and burn the building that your shop's in or you know if there's some racial conflict or some uh every third week uh or if um civil war know, terror attack civil war like or like if you're in like bangladesh and it's just what's well, gonna the city's gonna flood again next week it's like oh jeez <laughs> bangladesh is in a very unfortunate geological position (laughs) poor country they're doing their best maybe um so we have this demonization and i and i and i saw this a lot uh throughout my thing where um you know you get people saying um well they're just out for themselves and it's very cynical view of business that we we've talked about this before where it's like oh people are just out to make money for themselves it's like yes obviously <laughs> but which people know, though are you referring to just to be a little more clear i'm really not gonna I mean like names. our generation or like school kids or um our generation maybe like our like 35 generation definitely the generation after us um who but i've i'm not gonna name names i'm wondering where the cynicism sort of comes from that's sort of well what you see it in the um you see it a lot in the media you know, Mr. Business is always the big bad guy. Um, you get uh, you get all these portrayals of like the person going into business being evil, but on and so it makes it so that a lot of people wouldn't want to even get started in a business. I don't want to start a business. Business is bad. I don't want to. I don't want to get this. And this could be some sort of like luxury belief with weeding out your competition. You say, oh yeah, don't go into business, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, all the other people go off into get a gender studies degree while you say, it's like, oh, well, no more competition for me. So it's sort of like the cutthroat but, portrayal of the profit-seeking motivation. Yeah. And you're saying like the, uh, the businessman is sort of the emblem, emblematic boogeyman for all that is evil with money. Yeah, and we have that in spades, at least since um, like the 60s. Uh, but um, the <clears throat> definitely since the 80s. But you get also that intersecting or interacting with the reality of entrepreneurship. And this is why it's uh, this is why it's not very attractive in the first place. So it's kind of like, okay, you can go to school. Yeah, I want to go to school. I can get a job, but you have to do tons of work. Wait, what? <laughs> it's like, and this is where it's hard because like you said, there's a high failure rate, like a long-term fit, uh, success rate is very, very low. Um, not only that, but you will be working uh, hundred hour weeks for at least six months. Uh, if you're, if it's a restaurant, um, that's probably going to go up to a year. Um, you are always on call. You can never put it down. 
It is not comfortable. You're always interacting with people that you don't want to interact with. You have to talk to uh, suppliers, uh, business, uh, construction people who probably didn't put that you know desk that you need at that very specific angle at that very specific angle, and now you have to have a fight. Um, but just to qualify, you're talking about full time businesses, right? There are part time businesses people start up on the yeah, side. Yeah, like I've got as demanding. I've got two of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't even want to call myself and I don't want to toot my horn here and say I'm just a tutor that people hire, but I guess it's a business. Um, <clears throat> and, but when I'm doing it, I don't have any uh, safety net. I don't have any, I can't go to the government and be like, I lost my job. It's like, because I was employing myself it, it, to the government. It mm, pretty much seems like I might as well be unemployed. And to a lot of people right now, you know, it's like, oh, you're just in between jobs. It's like, no, this is my job. <laughs> like, just because someone else doesn't employ me, we've got it into our heads nowadays that what you, people uh, should be going for is to be employed in a nice, uh, comfortable place. But that really isn't how a lot of people are going to make it in the world. You have to be versatile. Like, I lost, I, I got through school, COVID hit right as I was ramping up. Uh, and uh, putting my resumes out for a bunch of places and all those jobs dried up. Um, it's a desert. So I have to be versatile and I have to realize that I just because I have a job now doesn't mean I'll have it later. So my safety net is entrepreneurship. <laughs> so, yeah. um, <clears throat> and um, this could be as much as like starting your own business or like even selling the stuff that you already own to some extent, that's probably a short term entrepreneurship job, but it's still sales, I guess. But, or well, my using- My uncle used to do it with eBay. He'd buy antiques and stuff from gra um, garage sales. Oh. And he would sell stuff on eBay for a markup. He had that's, a small business running for a number of years, at least 10 or 15 years. That's neat. That's really neat. Yeah. Cause and he'd probably just like clean them up a bit, get them all photogenic and then. Yeah. And he's the type that would actually enjoy the whole process of sleuthing around oh, yeah. garbage bins, looking for like some farmer's lost relic. <laughs> oh yeah. And there's like in any major or like you go to any small town in Canada, they'll have like, you know, uh, antique shop, which is just all the stuff from all the farmers just kind of got rid of all their old stuff. And that's, that's actually in the exact spirit I'm talking about. Just someone being like, there's an opportunity here and it's a small one, but it's still an opportunity. And you, you know, you put the work in and you have to set your own hours and you have to set all the own thing. No one's going to tell you what to do. And I think this is the, like the third quibble is you are in charge. And that means you have to figure out what you need to do next. You can't just rely on somebody to be like, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, what am I supposed to just tell me what I need to do? And, you know, those students right now who are going through school, you know, the ones who are like, how many pencils are we allowed to bring into the, uh, you know, into the, uh, into the exam? It's like, that's the wrong question. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there seems to be a lot of that to me lately, just having re-registered for school for the first time in 10 years. And the last time I was in school was the first time in seven years. So every time I go to school, I'm always like behind the ball. But the neat thing is the perspective I gain from that. And the, the students that I'm constantly surrounded by, especially when I was in courses like economics, it just, it blew my mind how they'd be studying 
economies of scale and then not realized in their daily life as they leave the classroom how that affects things like their purchases of clothes or cars or movies and things like that like they just they don't take what they're learning into the real world whereas with business everything you're learning is from the real world so i find it like a really condensed form of education to to practice what you're learning well even in history one of the things that we were doing like economics is the the obvious one but even in history which seems to a lot of people as a waste of time and rightly so there are a lot of people that graduate from history degrees i'm sorry if you guys are watching but that uh um if you're watching this i don't consider one of you this but there's a lot of people that graduate from with history degrees that it was a waste of time for them it was just something to do while they you know or something that's expected of them and they didn't actually need or want a university degree but um you have to in a history degree at some point they say get your own topic and you have to set your own hours you have to set your own rules you have to set your own uh approach and perspective and you know length structure all this stuff is all you you they say come up with a project and they'll be like okay what are the parameters and they'll be like it can't be more than this long (laughs) so it's a limiting factor also it has to be within this general topic you know uh 19th century britain okay and then they go go but more and more this is not becoming the case i've seen some um i've seen some uh assignments that were uh you know they give you the topic up until like the third year now and it's just well, why you're not teaching them they you learn more by coming up with your own topic by running around with your head cut off in that uncomfortable, uh, like, I hate the way this feels way. And that's exactly what you want. I don't know what to do. 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 And eventually you go, I'm going to do um this. And then you get good at decision-making. You get good at setting your own uh, thing. And that's exactly what you need to do. Because if you're sitting around and you have higher stakes, then I just need to figure out this topic. You know, you are... 18 you have nothing no prospects no nothing well what do you want to do i'll uh i'll open a sh- i'll just start selling stuff i guess um and this is what a lot of people this is why you have a lot of foreigners who are entrepreneurs um that sounded like a dirty word i didn't mean it like that <laughs> immigrants okay this pc culture coming into the conversation i guess um they come in and they have that you know, they probably have that deer in the headlights, like, oh no, what do I do? I need to make money now. Like I'm here. I have to do something about it. I have to do something about my situation or my family's going to suffer. And then they do something. They, they, they start something because they have to. And that's that, that's that lack of safety net. And what happens is an empty shop in a community gets taken up. There's clean windows there. There's, uh, you know, a new paint job on one of the buildings. And suddenly the, this desperation has turned into a benefit for the whole community. And this is why we should be encouraging this because even just someone selling uh, stuff on eBay makes, you know, now someone has a lamp that they never would have thought of uh, getting, or now they have something. It's a big and, part of ESG too. Like 
the ESG. green economy, you want to reuse and resell used items so that they don't end up in landfills. So there's actually like a greater social purpose too and function to mm. this type of like sales. Or with the small shop, like you're noting, it actually increases the property values of everybody in the neighborhood if you have less abandoned storefronts, right? Yeah. So get, there's there's all these small little sort of um I don't know, collateral benefits that you get from all the businesses next door to the shop that opens as well and to the residents and to the the landowners around that that strip uh yeah and we can't rely on others to do it like it's it's nice for us to get it but like there's people actually going out and doing this and it seems like people are just they want the glamour sort of when they want to start a small business they want to be able to say they're doing a job that's glamorous rather than saying like my business is to pick up garbage after other construction companies like that's a really valuable business to have well, it's glamour, but I think a good word for it also is honor. Um, it's honorable. Like, you know, you go and say, well, I started my own business, you know, but or like you get that guy, it's like, I started my business when I was 23 and now I'm, you know, I'm still working it. It's, it's hard work, but it's like, you know, that's, that's some, you know, that's an honorable sentence to speak. Yeah. I think truth. you misunderstand what I was saying though. I was yeah. Saying sorry. People who start small businesses are looking for the glamour. And I think that's part of their cynicism is that they only want to start uh, jobs that are really pretty or sound good or okay. make them look flashy. You know what I mean? Like I'm an investment banker or you know, I'm a web developer. Like, I'm a graphic designer. I'm a, I'm a 3d artist or something like that. Yeah. And those, those types are the types that have put the cart before the horse where they're like, Oh, well the, to be a web developer, you need to have a web developer studio. It's like, no, you need a room <laughs> with a, with an internet connection and a plug, a laptop that's, and a mouse. <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> like go. And it's like, well, no, I need to have this and I need to have, you know, I need to have a room. And it's like those kids that, you know, their parents buy them the, uh, the, the studio for their whatever. And it's like, oh, I have a studio downtown. And it's just like, no, you, you got to put the work in. You got to like, you got to understand you have to grok the, the, mm-hmm. this, the, the problem that you are going in to solve. It's just, it's not, this is not something that's a pastime. This is something that becomes you. Um, and you need to put it in. And like, this is the hard work alternative. And I think maybe I'm, these, this may come across as like, oh, people aren't working hard anymore. But honestly, they're not. In the last year and a half, people just are being told, don't work hard. Well, I have to just sit here. It's like, well, more constraints, work hard within these new rules, I guess. But, you know, uh, and it's harder. It definitely is harder, but, um, that doesn't mean we should stop just because COVID is happening. It's like, it just means we have to get more creative. And so, and I think people are scared of the unpretty jobs. Like to me, a really good business this is probably just my background in, in real estate and property management. But to me, a really good business is like window washing, gutter cleaning, Power pressure washing, siding, like clearing out debris. Apparently, is terrible. Like apparently, it's just unreason. Like apparently, it's um. Oh wait, sorry, I just called it because a lot of people have a fear of heights. (laughs) (laughs) But I I don't mean like high rises or skyscrapers or anything. You can just go door to door to like uh, street level places Mm -hmm. and ask for five. Like all of my companies that I've worked at, we've had a petty cash drawer, and anytime somebody comes by to clean the windows, you know, ten bucks. Cash Within to reason. window cleaner. Like, if they're the ones who dirty them, I'm just beating them <laughs> off with a bat. But like, no, I used to. But just used to routine maintenance jobs like that are really good businesses. Cleaning jobs. Um, well, I saw um, there was a house for sale on uh, 101 Street here near where I live in Edmonton. 101 Avenue. They're all the same. 
street avenue um and i saw that they uh there was a house for sale and the the front wasn't mowed and i thought i could just call this guy i could just go around with a mower which i have and in the back of my car and just be like call these guys up and be like yo 20 bucks to mow this lawn right now this your your house that you're selling looks disgusting I'll mow it right now if you e-transfer me 20 bucks. I'll give you a before and after picture. And I just go do that and I could probably make a hundred bucks a day. <laughs> yeah. And that's oh, not I, even joking. Like you could literally do that for a living and just do pickup jobs every single day. I mean, oh, yeah, just like it's a bit stressful because like, you don't know for sure that you've got income that day because you're, you're constantly picking up work the day of. But yeah. once you get ahead and you've got a bit of a buffer zone, then you don't have to worry so much about one or two days without working. And I think, well, this, it is stressful. And that's why people shy away from it because a lot of people don't want stress. They're shying away from stress. They're not used mm-hmm. to doing things that are difficult. But at the same time, um, it does take a bit of that, you know, you have to display a certain amount of cojones because you are putting yourself out there. You have to be, you can't be passive when you're doing this. It's like, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a passive person. It's just like, no, that doesn't matter. I've met some passive people that have been business owners. There's a wonderful woman who I would not call aggressive in any way that owns a bubble tea shop on White Ave here. When like, she just tries stuff, but she pushes, she, this is a person that probably pushes herself beyond her comfort level and has gotten used to it and now just says, oh, I made a new tea here, you try it. Um, and this is what we want. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, she's living her dream. She's got like the most adorable bubble tea joint uh, in, in I've ever seen. So and- I think we need to reinforce that pride of ownership though. So yes. rather than people being um, focused on the job that they're doing, being pretty and glamorous, like I'm a painter, I'm a web developer, I'm a I'm a car specialist or something like that. We need to make it sexy to have like, I clean up garbage. I do dump runs. I I'm a courier. Mark Mike Rowe did that for a while in his like dirty jobs show. Mm. And he was really good at that kind of saying like, there's people that like crawl around in the tunnels underneath our like, uh, cities literally caked in like manure, like human, feces and they have pride in their jobs and he's like why because they are doing their job and they know that they're good at it and they know that society relies on it there's meaning in there and he his 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 dirty jobs show really uh did put that spotlight on these people and he actually would just go into these jobs and it's just like you know the waste treatment facility i remember once there was a one on where he's just kind of like the guy's like this is a room and he opens it up and it's just this room full of crap (laughs) like literal like flushings Mm -hmm. and they're just like all right grab that hose let's clean this room and they just hose down the room and there's just like chunks the size of my entire body just coming off and somebody has to do that now so that somebody other entrepreneur can see that and be like i can automate that (laughs) and it's like oh no that guy's job's gonna be gone well no that guy can go find a job where he's not dealing with feces and there you know he can probably find one because if you know the spirit we're talking about there's always something that needs to be done and that's that's one of the key things, but this pride that you, you talk about, if it's not a false pride, it, it, it's definitely there. And I've, we've said this before when we talk about like 
there's nothing wrong with becoming a plumber or something like that. There's nothing wrong with becoming a carpenter because we need those people. And just because you're not getting a university degree, well, whatever, who cares? Do you actually need a university degree? Like really, does it re is it really necessary for what you want to do in the future? If you actually think education is important, bookstores are cheap now. Go grab some. Go pirate some audiobooks. Like it's it's there for you. But you don't you can take pride in a job well done no matter what that job is. Yeah. But the thing is we're not I'm, well, like there's actors. a few exceptions. I'm the best SS Oberst Sergeant in the you know, it's like, okay, maybe that guy yeah. not so much. But <laughs> but like there, there's a very limited number of jobs that people are like, I'm a skydiving instructor, like that are super fun jobs, or I'm a stunt driver or something like that. You know, the rest yeah. of humanity, the other 99.9% .9 of people have to do jobs that aren't um, like, they're not super over the top enthusiastic about. But what really matters though is what the, the mentality they bring to the job. So mm -hmm. when they show up at work, regardless of whether you're working in like a flooring company or a pl as a plumber or just doing dispatch or working for 911 emergency, like everybody mm -hmm. has a place. And yeah. it's not that one is more useful than another because like an ambulance driver still needs their garbage picked up and they need painters to fix up their house and they need mm -hmm. landscapers. And so like every job isn't more one more important than the other. Every job is equally important and valid. And I think that's what we need to take pride in. Yeah. And I think a lot of what people see in people working their doing jobs is like, I met a lot of painters, a lot of painters. And a lot of them are like, this is my job. I do a good job. And some of them, when you see, it's like, you're not seeing a lack of pride in their work. You're not seeing the travails of entrepreneurship. You're seeing alcoholism. And that's the negative you're seeing. It's the person, it's not the job. And a lot of times, uh, you know, if we tell these people that um, their job, well, they should have gotten this or the tradies are dumb or something, or, you know, don't contractors are just the worst people on the planet, which I've definitely heard this before. And, you know, after a day of selling paint to them, sometimes I'm just like, oh man, I don't want to talk to another contractor for at least a week. Um, they're not bad people. Some of them definitely were. Um, Pete. Name names there. <laughs> I'm calling um, you out, Pete. God damn it, Pete. If that guy's still alive, I'll be surprised. Um, <laughs> uh, just to, And, and the same goes for all businesses too. Like I, I've seen tons of really successful businesses even um, ripping off insurance companies and the government and doing uh, deals under the table and they're stealing work from other other contractors. Like I've seen a lot of really disreputable junk in, in the business sector. Yeah. Sector. And I feel like they, they sort of fly under the radar because they're small. They can kind of get away with more than a really heavily regulated larger well, company could get like, we're going to, we're going to start a, what do you call it? Um, a call center. And what we're going to do is we're going to cheat people out of their money. And like, you definitely see entrepreneurs like this, like dishonest entrepreneurs. And this, I do not condone like, uh, or like people who, I don't know, farm Bitcoin or something then brag about not having to do a single day's work. <laughs> um, now I don't, I'm not against like Bitcoin farming, but if you brag about not doing a single day's work, you are a scum of the earth. Bye. Or uh, if you're scalping GPUs for a year. <laughs> yeah. It's like, 
That's non-productive labor to just scoop up a whole bunch of GPUs and then sell them for a 300% markup. And what you're trading is you're trading pride in your work for money because the person who um, puts all the power lines up says, you know, I put all these power lines up. You're saying I've got money and I didn't even need to try. Who am I going to respect? And this is the thing is like, I don't care how much money you have just because you have money. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to respect you. And it doesn't make you a better businessman to have no. a more lucrative business model either. If you scrub toilets for a living, I will give you more respect than if you trade currencies for a living because there's yeah. absolutely no value being added to the economy by trading currencies. Or selling something while the market is low. You're not going to be making money. I can respect you for keeping up the fight and getting till the market uh, turns around in your favor. It's like, well, I'm a very successful businessman. Why? Well, you're not making money. Well, doesn't well, he's not making money now. Yeah, but he's investments are long. I can respect things. hard work, and one of I guess honesty comes into that. Um, yeah, I'm gonna move forward a bit because the spirit of entrepreneurship. I think I'm gonna get a bit philosophical here. And involves it's kind of. Uh, how do I say this? It's the tool that our society relies on to a massive extent. And the reason I'm putting, we're putting so much emphasis on this today, on this one thing that seems small, it's just people coming up with ideas and starting their own jobs, which we can all like, we've understand that like why this is good. You are enhancing small business. You are, uh, you're contributing to the lessening of uh, broken windows theory stuff, all this, all this. But the reason why we place such an emphasis, especially in this culture, when you couldn't in a feudal culture or a communist culture or a fascist culture or a uh, broken culture or any really pre-modern culture, <clears throat> Excuse me, I need a bit of water. I got a bit of a frog. Technical difficulties. <laughs> um, so, is that it utilizes two of the tenets of our society that we hold to be most dear. The first one of these is freedom. You need the freedom to be able to start a business. You can't do entrepreneurship in a non-free place. The state will, okay, you are now the bread maker because, you know, you've been decided by, you know, Moscow or Beijing to be the bread maker. You are now this. Congratulations. Except not congratulations because congratulations are a hierarchy and hierarchies are bad. No, 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 none of that. In a fascist culture, it's like your family is the bread makers. It's the pure bread makers come from families of bread makers. It's like there's no freedom there. Uh, and in our society, which emphasizes this freedom so much, it's like this, I know I'm flag waving a bit. It sounds like it when I, when you just say the word freedom, this is how cynical we've become as a society. This is um, how I become cynical. When <laughs> yeah. we, but the thing is, is that this is not a trivial concept. I need the freedom to be like, I'm good at talking. I'm good at history. I should teach but I don't want to teach there. I can't get a job in in the school system because I don't have my teaching certificate, which I'm seeing is less and less necessary. Um, I'm just going to put an ad out. Now I have five students. Now I'm teaching kids. And the more I do it, the better I'm getting. 
So that was an exercise of my freedom. But we don't just need a whole bunch of people going, I'm going to become a teacher, even though we do have too many of those. Uh, you can never have too many teachers. They just they graduate so many. It's like the, the, the market, like I know, I know, I know what we said in the last like three episodes, but anyway. It just means we have to fund more teaching programs. That's all. <laughs> Your country's much better off with too many teachers, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I see what you're getting at, though. Yeah. So what we need is people to come up with a bunch of different ideas. And this is the other thing is diversity. And this isn't diversity of skin color. No. Like, I'm sorry, we don't care what color you are. Do a good job. Be a good person. <laughs> um, it's diversity of experience. Well, we all have different experiences. Diversity of viewpoint. Well, yeah, but your viewpoint brings with it something particular. It brings with it a particular set of skills that you can be used to, you know, now, instead of being forced to be a bread maker, you can make the decision freely to use your diverse individual um, skills and background to now bring bread to the market in your own way, which again, increases the diversity. Now we have not only another bread maker, but we have a bread maker that's unique. It's got its own little aesthetic going. It's got its own type of bread, something that's like, that everyone can be like, oh, I've tried these ones, but have you tried these ones? Something different, something new that we haven't seen before. And now you're adding not only to the bread market, you're adding to the community, you're adding to um, all these things. And now we have a diversity, a greater diversity in our consumption uh, behaviors, because You've used your freedom to not only use your and to not only uh, leverage your diversity, but enhance the diversity in the system, making everyone's life better. So, in our society, which is yes, individualistic, which again is cynically everyone thinks is a bad word, but with individuality, we can have this diversity and with freedom, we can use our individuality. So in a democratic society, this is almost a necessity um, for us to be like, okay, go forth and see what you guys can do. And then we all just go forth and a chaos happens and it's messy as hell because democratic societies are always messy. But if you sit back long enough, you'll find some pretty darn miraculous things happening and things that everybody loves. Um, Baked ex, 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 like Edmonton doesn't have a place like baked expectations in Winnipeg. It's the best cake shop in Winnipeg. Fight me. Uh, and it's just some people who started a bake shop in the like eighties and they, their model is different than anything I've seen. And it's quaint as heck and they have made great cake. So. I go there and it's, and and it makes the city a better place because it exists. Um, so I think one of the other benefits you get from that type of diversity is like the enrichment of everybody's life. Cause mm -hmm. I, I don't mean to put like too big of a punctuation on this, but the fact that we have the variety we have for healthy foods encourages us to eat healthy foods. So if you have a mm -hmm. bread shop that's selling all types of like, um, sprouted loaf bread rather than just getting the preservative filled wonder bread from from 7-eleven or something yeah, don't you know what i mean that. there's don't a vastly that. different nutritional content between a baker's 
uh, spelt loaf and Wonder Bread white bread from the store. So it's like there's actually like a health component to the entire community, as well as like the unique atmosphere, the unique recipes, the choices, the options, the the communication between the business owner and the customers, and like that fluid dynamic. I think is what enriches our culture broadly speaking, even if they're just a neighborhood coffee shop. I think having a bunch of neighborhood coffee shops in a bunch of neighborhoods makes a city. That's what makes like what I love most about New West and Vancouver is just there's six coffee shops on every corner. Like notoriously downtown, there's a Starbucks on both corners of the street. (laughs) But a diversity of coffee shops is way more um, fulfilling. Like you you can try something that actually changes your day rather than just doing a mundane routine. And I think that's one of the things I love most about these small mom and pop shops is just that variety. Well, and you get places like um, barber shops and hair salons. And like you can go to a chain, which just hires, you know, the 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 hourly non-entrepreneurs. Yeah, those ones are just like a cut hair and or the ones who just graduated and they work for a while and you get like a okay cut. But like what happens is, especially and actually that's a really good example is that you get a person who will start their own. I want to go make my own thing and it doesn't take much, which is why it's probably a good um, a good sector for it is. Uh, because you need a chair, you know, you need like a, you need the tools, which you need to buy anyways to get in. Uh, and usually they'll rent out that space from another barbershop because the barbershops are almost never full. So they'll right. have like three chairs in the back where private people rent it out Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of thing. Yeah. And what happens is they, it's a, it's, it's a job where you th- can just be like, okay, I'm the resource. They're coming for me for my skills. So I could own my own place and you get them dreaming about having their own place. And they start thinking about, you know, and this isn't like idle thought. This is like, oh man, what would my store look like? What would I call it? You know, like a, like a teenage girl dreaming about her wedding. <laughs> like these aren't idle thoughts there. They're planning and it's, but it's planning that they enjoy. And then after a while, they're just like, I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden we have a new barbershop and all the people that like them go to them. And, uh, but to and- me, what's really key is that they become, um, conscious of their branding and the quality assurance and their customer satisfaction, because it's meaningful to them to have their business succeed, as opposed to punching a clock where you just like, people are going to come, whether you want them to or not, you just cut your hair and get out. It's a totally different approach to work. You don't get a fulfilling, like a sense of fulfillment coming out of a long day of work when you're not caring about your brand or quality of of your work or if you're just trying to get numbers through, right? Well, and if you do a bad job in a large company, a large company would be like, we'll just absorb it. I don't want to have to deal with firing this guy, blah, blah, blah. But if you're owning yourself, because like there's a lot of, if you have a job, you have, like if you have a, you go get a job for somebody, they might not want to fire you for screwing up because of all the um, things like the payouts and they have to do like match CP, like all the stuff that you have to do when you fire somebody. But if you're running it yourself, you don't have that safety net and the company doesn't have that safety net because you are the company. If you screw up, that's a hundred dollars that you're missing a week or that's, you know, uh, you know, if it's, um, like if it's a mechanic shop, it's a couple thousand dollars you're missing a week. I don't know actually how pricing and car mechanicing works. Um, if any of you know, leave us a long message. 
Uh, but um, the the thing is, is that if you screw up, if you're rude to a customer or something, then that's money that you just don't have now. If I get sick and I can't teach, it's money I don't have. And I have to either try, which I did this summer, and it was I, I did my best, and it was satisfactory. And I'm probably not going to get that uh, thing again, but I had the myocarditis from the vaccine. But I did my best. And they knowingly said, okay, we're still going to keep you on, but I'm not getting that contract again straight up. And so what's that's a loss to me from the smallest thing and a pebble to a uh, corporation is a boulder to a entrepreneur. And this is why you get a lot of failing because one misstep and you could, you know, uh, you could go under um, and you don't know what that is at all. Uh, you can apply to get, I guess, financial assistance or um, not financial assistance, uh, financing from um, the financial sector who can invest in you and take the risk off to some extent. Um, but then at the same time, you have to get the confidence in a financier to actually put forward that money to alleviate that risk. So it all comes down to is your what you're putting into your brand and what you're putting into your work um, going to be accepted by you know, market coming in? Are they, are they going to come back? And so you worry about these things and you push harder knowing that that and you're not going to push that hard if you you know, if it's somebody else's business, if it's not going to push that hard, which is why when you work for these mom and pop shops and they freak out at you for being like, why are you doing this? I can't believe that. And you're just like, I don't care. It's like, that's why they're freaking out <laughs> because they might be making a lot more money than you, but that could change very quickly. Um, and it's their, usually it's like their home or something that's on, on as collateral for any financing they get, right? Like it's right. very personal to a small business owner, whereas like shareholders aren't even party or to participate in those types of discussions because those are just costs that a manager deals with and prints reports for. But I mean, you, you, you've got some personal experiences. So do I, um, dealing with small businesses and working in a small business right from, from teenage years. So um, my background was web design while I was in high school. I had a little web design company. And my issue with customers was I was so obsessed and focused on the quality assurance of my brand that I couldn't price my services adequately to make it uh, worthwhile because I'd go above and beyond trying to make it, trying to cater myself and sacrifice my own time and labor to yeah. satisfy customers' unrealistic expectations. I was young and naive and I really wanted to uh, the approval, but... You had a different setting. Um, your your background was more in like a retail than services. So, what was your experience like in uh, small business operating a small business as a teenager? Oh yeah, uh, that's right. I was running a video store. <laughs> um, a lot of that was um, just staying apprised of the market, being pleasant. Uh, I made a lot of missteps because I was. You might have to explain what a video store is for our younger audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I used to have to go out and rent the movies cause they weren't on the, uh, they weren't in the cloud, <laughs> which is honestly a better market. But like, I mostly oversaw the liquidation of a couple of video stores, um, not to my, uh, 
I remember having to be creative. It actually helped me be end up be very creative because I had to think about ways like to make this um regrettably at my time uh dying uh sector um to be um uh profitable but like people weren't just weren't coming anymore because netflix was taken picking up um you started getting uh, internet piracy which honestly i couldn't <laughs> for some reason even though i was running the business i couldn't fault people for doing uh i just i didn't really have much um like how dare you you know this is how dare you, you should be spending money in my store it's like but i can't say that because i'm a free actor in the world and i was just like you know they are the ones who decide to use their money they don't have any um they don't have any obligation and i don't not entitled to my customers and so if the market says it's not going to happen it's not going to happen so but while it was on i had to make a lot of like it was a lot of decisions and anyone who's been a anyone's run anything you say okay i need this what's going to come i have to almost try and read the future uh and but you dealt retail. with staffing uh you dealt with like merchandising because you had you know gums and tic tacs and shit at the front desk i think didn't you guns oh, no gum gums yeah, yeah. gums <laughs> yeah gun store um luckily like old dutch all like took care of like a lot of themselves and they would just come in they'd be like they would read the future and that was one of their things that they would do but the meta of it i mean like you understand the background knowledge of the business as opposed to just like the jobs i had other than my private jobs was like working in a call center and the only thing i learned was to read a script and and, like speak it that's it oh god (laughs) but like that's the thing i had to know like i did like when you work the thing you had to know the point of sale system and like i had to watch every single movie that came through that place Ugh. <laughs> supply chains and copyright yeah. issues and pricing and yeah when like to you sell over i had to like keep an eye on certain um like entertainment news which i absolutely hated uh and um like i wouldn't watch entertainment tonight or any garbage like that but i had to like know at least who the actors were and stuff like that um so it was it was interesting it, it was it was hard and easy at the same time, strangely, because I knew once I got the the flow of it, it was really interesting. But I knew the flow also was very dangerous, because um, like once you get into the flow, it gets easy, and then it becomes harder to change because you do need to change people, especially in a uh, in a retail thing. People, if something's the same, if something's not. Um, uh, novel, then they'll just kind of, they'll delete it from their mind and won't come back. But then I had to make the thing saying, well, well, this is winding down. The customers are not coming back and we probably stayed open as a family business too long. Um, uh, probably I'd say about six months longer than we should have, but that's a decision that we needed to make. And like everyone needs to make those, those decisions. Um, and it's just like investing, like in a giant investment firm where you're like, you know, buy low, sell high. And it's just like, okay, we bought at a good time and we needed to sell earlier. We didn't, we sold when it was, um, too low. We should have sold earlier. And that's, you just have to keep in mind that your business is not eternal, I guess, as well. (laughs) 
Well, how about you, knowing that and having gone through those experiences and with that little bit of uh, background for us, how does that compare to like the modern day um, romantic being exploited by Uber or Lyft, where they say you can be your own boss and your own manager. And after you like factor in costs and, and time, people are making like three bucks an hour as uh, Uber drivers or, or Lyft drivers. I think with those, it's a lie because, um, well, it's obviously a lie. Uh, and you can be your own thing or, uh, with the skip the dishes thing, because you're actually still an employee. <laughs> like you're not actually making decisions like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I work for Lyft or I look for, I work for skip the dishes. It's like, no, you're a subcontractor. <laughs> like, yeah. And Uber actually lost that in court. Now they are deemed employees, but that was how they were trying to get yeah. around, not paying like payroll taxes and all this other type yeah. of stuff is by saying they're not technically our employees. They're subcontractors. And then to get people to do it, they would say, be your own boss, make your own hours. And people would be losing money and depreciating their vehicles and not doing their own accounting properly because they don't mm -hmm. know any better. And like yeah. that type of entrepreneurship, I think adds to people's discontent or their disenfranchisement with being small startup businesses. I think that leads to it. Do you think? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people when well, they're using that spirit to do it, but like, uh, there's someone in my family. I don't know if I want to out them, but uh, someone I know who is someone I know uh, started their own business, and they're really good at that business. And they made a few missteps, not bad ones. They're still going to have a business. It's just there's certain things that you need to know while doing a business. And I'm lucky because I have. I married into a family with a number of accountants in it and I didn't know anything. I just like start a business, people pay me and I spend the money because I made it, you know, like any normal sane individual would think, but apparently there's this thing called taxes. And the more I work for myself, the more taxes become a theft. Um, but, um, start wanting to raise that don't tread on me flag. Um, but, um, and All the more reason to get taxes lowered by making uh, those who can afford it pay their fair share. Uh, they just released a report what, a couple days ago. 8% was the average marginal tax rate for companies making over a million dollars. And then the average marginal tax rate of everybody else in the entire country was like 40%, 38%. Yeah, I still when you don't, count in like sales tax and property tax and income tax. I still don't think I make enough money to pay taxes. No, but, you probably don't. <laughs> but um, the the rich definitely pay pay more taxes than me. But, but your taxes at the same lower if they pay just the same amount as you. They don't even yeah. have to pay like a ton more if they you just paid the twenty two percent that would break even between the the rich and the poor. If they just paid twenty two percent instead of eight. Like your taxes, instead of being 40%, would be 22%. Yeah. You know what would well. be even better is if all the people watching went and watched our episode on fair tax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go do that right now. Just pause this, go watch the fair tax one, and then come back. And then, yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, it's hard because it's just got this the, the problem with taxes that you have this Byzantine nightmare regulation monster. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and they don't teach it in high school, oddly enough. No, it's just like you need to know this in order to do anything with your life. It's like, yeah, just, you know, glance at it. And it's just this thick book that no one's, everyone's afraid of. They'll teach everybody trigonometry, but they won't teach them taxes. It just, yeah. <laughs>
or like law. It's like, yeah. how does the law work? And it's just like, and everybody it, needs to sign a lease or a loan agreement or buy a car or something. There's law involved and nobody I knows learned, what they're doing or how to read it. I learned it. more about the law by getting parking tickets. And, uh, <laughs> and I think I, I learned so much about the law buying my first like restricted firearm because yeah. it's just like well you need to do this this and the guy behind the counter is just speaking lawyeries i'm like dude you're a retail <laughs> i'm just like okay i'm taking notes like what do i need to do and they give me like this brochure and it's literally three pages long saying what i need to do to, well even just like, like cell phones imagine or like gaming consoles imagine if you had to read here. the terms of service every time you had an update you'd never be able to play or use your phone because you just yeah. constantly be reading through legalese yeah you don't own your steam games <laughs> but um it's that kind of thing is like if for if you're playing game on steam it doesn't really matter it's there but it doesn't matter um because you're not going to care once you beat the game or once you're done with it or something or as long as it's working and or if they try to charge you again for playing it or like have a subscription service or something and the, the legal stuff changes and it's like, what, you want to be, be, pay 40 bucks again for the game? No. And then you look at the legal stuff and you're like, oh, this is terrible. And then you riot because your fun is impeded. But if you're running a business, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be aware of the legal implications of everything you're doing. Like if you're grooming dogs, it's a shout out. Um, my sister grooms dogs, go if you need your dog links in, in the description yeah uh <laughs> should uh but she's really good at it but uh you need to be aware of that kind of stuff uh or if you're but if you're doing something like like that's not that legally onerous but if you're selling firearms yeah you need to know the legal stuff if you are an accountant you need to know where of the tax you know thing or if you are um uh trading in certain sec in financial sectors if you don't know the economics behind what you're doing you can have a bad time so these are the things you need to be expert at and i think these we do give a lot of entrepreneurs nowadays short shrift about this because a lot of them seemingly who just you know put sandwiches together or something seem like well they know what sandwiches it's like no <laughs> like they know what they're doing if they've been around more than 10 years then they have become expert <laughs> at these uh, yeah just by proxy yeah whether they got a degree or not they they know it yeah so a lot of times this is this is a, a hurdle like oh, i don't want to deal with taxes i don't want to deal with that that sounds hard i gotta i gotta i gotta get a lawyer what it's like well, this is the prices you pay this is why you make all those big profits because you aren't getting those benefits because you aren't getting that and you need to know all this other stuff that you know a big company will have a legal department that you can rely on but you are your legal department if you're uh if you're in business for yourself which and is that's sort of why you make more money too right like the you're reclaiming the value of your own labor when you're when you're working for yourself because when you work for another company they have to pay you less than the money that you produce or generate otherwise they wouldn't be in business right they have to turn a profit but mm -hmm. in return they get all those like they have an illegal department an accounting department they get high grade professionals who are highly competent at managing your business for you mm -hmm. and that's sort of why you get paid less than if you were working for yourself so it makes sense to have that offset or difference between um self-employed and and being employed but i think what what you're getting at is that um 
people are discouraged immediately before looking into things. They think automatically, oh, this legalese stuff sounds so complicated that I'll never understand it. And they just don't try. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the biggest problem I see with most startup businesses is people who are prepared to operate and run their own business, whether it's making doll clothes or shoveling driveways, their, their instinct that stops them almost all the time is going to be, I don't know enough about this, or I'm not good enough at this. And to me, that's just a false pretense because nobody's good at anything they start. You get yeah. good by starting and then doing it. <laughs> yeah, I was okay at teaching and I've definitely gotten better. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> but but I, I think that's worth underscoring because I hear, and I, I love business startups. So everybody I meet since I was a kid, I've always tried to encourage them to start businesses just because I like starting companies, but I hate running them. I, I, <laughs> I hate the grueling tediousness of, of following a procedure or protocol, but I love developing the training manual and the protocol for other people to follow. That I just like, like the, the newness of it. <laughs> consultant. Yeah, yeah. And I used to do a lot of consulting too when I was out in BC. Um, that was actually my only successful business, <laughs> technically. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it's important though because I don't know that people recognize how common that feeling is, that discouragement from starting because they don't know enough. And I think that's completely a washed out notion that shouldn't even exist because nobody knows anything until they start. Like well, that is the way of learning is to start doing something you don't know how to do. And we're that's get, how you learn. And this is kind of why I brought up like we need to get used to not being comfortable because we're all get told that we're special as kids, which was BS. We're just all people. We're little meat bags. But if you get too comfortable, you're not going to be doing anything. Yeah, you know, everything becomes something somebody else does. And I feel like there's a lot of people who aren't willing to just, you know, do that hard stuff, to do all that stuff that you hate. And this is one thing I bring up in a number of episodes. You've probably heard me say this is that there's something tedious about every single job. Every job is something tedious, but there always, there's always something to redeem it. If there's nothing to redeem it, go get a different job. It probably means it's, you know, you've got bad employees. But it's yeah, or that job. job's meant for somebody else. Like somebody else will enjoy yeah. it more than you. Or like, um, my wife is doing certain practicums. She goes from one place and she'll just come home being like, Oh, I hate everything about this. I don't even want to be the pharmacist anymore. And she'll go work at another place and be like, man, we had so much fun at work today. It's like, huh? It's almost as if you like your job and the people suck. So like the people matter, but if you like the people and the job sucks, you can do the job. It just like, unless it's really bad. I've had a lot of jobs where it's just like, I absolutely hate this job when certain people are around and I absolutely love the job when uh, other people are around. It's like, maybe I like the people and not the job. And then, yeah. so that, that matters. You have to be aware of yourself with this and self-awareness is important. Um, and you again, this comes down to like, what are you willing to go through to do it? And because you're going to, the other thing is, I guess you're going to have to do some gosh darn distasteful things. Um, firing people is not hard. Firing people is fun. Oh, look, I get to look through all these resumes. I'm going to give someone some opportunity. Look at this idiot. Didn't even write it down. He's misspelled seven words, shred. Um, you know, it's fun. And then you hire them. It's like, congratulations. Welcome to the team. Two weeks later, get out of my office. (laughs) That's something you have to do. You hire 10 people, you fire six and like, 
to leave because they go off to do some other opportunity that, you know, in all honesty is better for them. One stays and another one stays that you think, dude, go to school. You shouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and then you end up with one person that's worth it. That's like, honestly, that happens in every business because people move around because they have that thing called freedom. And, um, and they have the freedom to make their life better. And although that becomes a risk to a business owner, it's also part of the elation from it. Like the, one of the things I liked about being self-employed is that the feeling you get when you get a contract, when you're working for someone, it's like, oh, more work. They're trying to overload me and I can't handle all this. And your pay stays the same. But when yeah. you're working for yourself, every contract you get is like a pay increase. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like you actually feel glad to be getting work. Whereas well, with an employee, you're never glad to be getting more work. Well, and you'll, you'll, you've seen this. I'll get a contract. I'll get a new employee and I'll be like, ah, oh, I've got another student. And I'll come on, I'll tell everybody. It's like, I got another job. That's what it feels like. You know, it's the same job and it's, it feels good. And it feels like, oh man, I got more on my plate. This is awesome. And that's exactly what happens. Um, some days it's just like, oh, I've got so much on my plate, but then you're like, I'm going to make so much money. (laughs) And there's this general sense of satisfaction, though, from the fruits of your labor, labor, because you actually get to enjoy it. You get to choose what you're reinvesting, what you're putting into your pocket, what goes out as a bonus to to your employees. Um, You get to give people an extra vacation day or two just to be nice. Like you can start you um, projecting your integrity into the world around you when you're operating a business. And you watch them use the money that they earned from you to go to school or buy a dog or oh you're mute you have become mute destroyer of sound uh oh i was Sorry. just saying or you buy, you watch them buy a house or feed their kids or something yeah. like it's it's a rewarding process to pay somebody voluntarily as opposed to having to pay people as like an account payable like a oh bill. and it hurts even more when you see your employees do like stuff like you know they they overfeed their kids and they buy a dog that they abuse and you're just like don't you get it i'm invested in your life (laughs) and so like you you want like you are like it's kind of a cliche because you have those people like i put like 30 kids through college and everyone in school hated that guy everyone hated that guy he was such a jerk it's like he's just this capitalist saying like oh you know he ran a steel mill or something and he 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 paid for he gave people opportunities. Why didn't he just pay them to go to school? It's like, cause nothing's free because <laughs> he's running a business. He's not running a charity and he, but he's still proud of the fact that the people that he employed went on to get an education in something more than what they were doing. Cause it doesn't matter. You're not leaving him behind saying, Oh, I'm done with the steel mill industry. I'm going to go do something more important, like gender studies or something stupid like that. And it's, it doesn't matter because they made more of themselves through you. And this is kind of that, that whole thing about investing in the people around you with action. You have, um, I think it was Thomas Jefferson. No, it wasn't Thomas Jefferson. Benjamin Franklin who said like, how do you make a friend? He's like, get them to do something for you. And so he would be like, so like his worst political enemies, he'd be like, hey, can I borrow a book? And he'd get them, he'd get them to do something for him. 
So I need to borrow a book from you. So, you know, they give him a book and then he'd borrow another book and be like, then he talked to him about that thing. All of a sudden they'd be like asking questions and writing him letters and it'd just be like, heh, loser. Now you're, now we're friends. <laughs> like, like developing relationships. Kind yeah. Of because relationships aren't just, it, it, it's give and take. It's not, it's not relationships aren't just like free on both sides. A relationship isn't a free thing. You know, a friendship is something that has to be cultivated just like a, you know, love isn't free either. Um, you have to, it feels good to work at it, but it's something like you have to put effort in into it. You have to actually like write that stupid poem and <laughs> recite it. You have to like show it and do gestures and, and all this thing. You, ha you have to invest yourself in other people and they have to invest themselves in you. And when everyone's invested in each other, they actually give a crud about, mm -hmm. about, um, what's going on. So like, this is why you get people who are, um, loyal to corporations. It's because they're invested in that corporation because they, they, they care because their efforts gone into that. They don't want to see that effort wasted. Nobody wants to see that effort wasted. Um, which is why when you work somewhere that doesn't like treat you as if they're investing in you and you're investing in them, it's a mutual exchange. It's not, nothing's free, but it's not one sided either. And so when a company is just like, whatever, you're just an employee, like the company, uh, the, uh, the, the employees just like, wait, what the heck? I'm not just an employee. I'm me. Like I'm putting my time in here and you're just, you're just an employee, like stay in the back. I don't need your input. And it's when yeah, and that's sort of what I mean, how it gets fulfilling too. Cause like when, when you're working for yourself, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to get that sense of fulfillment. Whereas yes. when you're working for a company, it's not quite guaranteed. Like you can try to have pride in your work and do the best you can and always be productive and contribute to the company's success. But whether they acknowledge that or not is completely up to them and it's beyond your control. Well, it doesn't so have doesn't to be have... anything. It doesn't even have to be anything like, like we value all of, all of our employees. It's just like, that's oh, the God, opposite of what those. It's like, it's your boss being like, Hey, you did a good job last Tuesday. Thanks. And you just be like, <laughs> you just leave going like, I did it. I, I did a good job last Tuesday. And, and then, it's all those simple little things with employees. Like when you use another employee's good job as an example to another employee to teach them and they yes. overhear it just like in passing, like you can do all these like little subtle psychological tricks that just give people that little like endorphin boost and that, yeah. you know, that they're, con they're, they're positively engaged in your success as well as you being engaged in theirs. It's that reciprocal right. nature like you were talking about. It's not like some office space thing where everyone has cake day and it's like that's their employee uh, appreciation thing where they're just doing the minimum. It's like actually having a relationship with the people that you're employing and are employing you. And that's mm -hmm. like you can you don't like, yeah, you can't have a relate. Like if you're working for Amazon, you can't have a relationship with Jeff Bezos. But the thing is you can have a relationship with your direct superior and your direct inferiors because they, how do you call them inferiors? It's like, come on, speak English, but <laughs> the, their relationship can be there and we work in relationships. And when you're self-employed, you have to form these relationships with the people you're hiring and the well, you and, and your customers. To, it's well, just, it's not, you're, re well, it's, you're rewarded for it. That's all. <laughs> no, well, it's, one way of looking at it, but I'm not saying it's, it's even like, I need to cultivate a relationship with everyone that comes in the door. But no, the relationship mm -hmm. is, hey, you're a customer. Oh, hey, you're a store owner. Hey, we're buying something from each other. Bye. That's it. That's the relationship. That's yeah. literally it. Or like, 
Um, but the nice thing is you have control of that. Like it's in your, it's within your purview to actually affect change into the culture of your company when you own the company or with employees, it's literally understanding that they have kids. Like merely the fact that you understand have kids is an enhanced relationship. It's like, what do you need time off? Well, my kids are sick. Well, you have kids. Well, we need you to work. It's like you understand when hiring someone, but the part knowing that they have kids and knowing at least the names of the kids, like that's, you don't need to do much to have a relationship. Like I have a relationship with the person that I see at the grocery store every time. I don't know his name, but he's like, he recognizes my face. I recognize his face. We go, Hey, and he'll be like 1530 and I'll be like, beep, see ya relationship achieved. It doesn't have to be like, I don't have to know his inner workings and he doesn't need to know mine. And really that's too far. But a relation, when I say relationship, I mean, just a basic understanding. Yeah. That smile and nod that just the role brightens your day kind of thing. Yeah. And knowing that my employer understands just at least my situation or at least like, oh, he's going to school, right? Yeah. That's, you know, good for him. Like knowing that he at least knows my name is enough that to know that he knows that I'm investing in his project and vice versa. But, uh, so maybe to, to move forward a little bit, Yeah, I wanted to move forward a bit. (laughs) I wanted to talk about like more about the tools of the diversity and freedom and like the great equalization of, uh, of being an entrepreneur in business. What type of social benefits are there to having small businesses? Like I've got a couple statistics pulled off of like ic.gc. Uh, or .gov.ca, the government stats website. I can't remember exactly what it is. the government have so many? Oh, I actually wrote it down. ic.gc.ca. Small businesses employed like 8.4 million individuals in Canada, which is 68.8% of the total private labor force in 2019. Uh, Another stat is between 2014 and 2019, small to medium-sized businesses were responsible for 35.8% of the net employment growth. Um, in the private sector, which increased approximately by, you know, just under a million jobs. Um, and that contributed to about 41.9% of gross domestic product for the country, mm-hmm. uh, just speaking from Canada. So I guess what we're talking about is um, small businesses, just to qualify is we should have done definition of terms at the start, but small businesses, we're talking about, you know, 100, 100 employees or less. Medium-sized businesses could be 25 to 150 employees, whatever. The point is, we're just saying um, not the Royal Bank of Canada, which no. has over a thousand employees, um, not PCL, which has an, over a thousand employees. Uh, small businesses and medium-sized businesses are basically businesses that either serve a city or a community. Uh, what we're talking about. So, what types of benefits are there to society as a whole, or like the country or the nation as a whole, having more small businesses to encourage uh, um, the the lessening of income disparity and uh, inequality? Oh, uh, well, with, with regard to specifically income disparity and equality, um, well, it, someone working is not someone on, is someone making money. And that sounds facile, but it's just straight up that like you could be on EI, which is not going to push you up. It's not, you're not getting anything other than subsistence like ei essentially is and it's barely even enough to live off of yeah and so it's enough to it's it's supposed to be a safety net for people like entrepreneurs who you know 
whose business fails and they they use that while they work their next business magic and um but someone who's working is someone who's uh allowing for more opportunity and so when we make it easy for people to start a business then doesn't like people are going to from every stripe are going to start there's always going to be people from every neighborhood that are going to come up with something and i got an idea whether it's like a bong shop in the middle of the worst neighborhood um that's still a someone who's hiring someone now their World character shawarma <laughs> we can never have just never have too much shawarma oh i miss shawarma con in winnipeg oh boy do i ever that was the best <laughs> shop in the city uh, <laughs> anyway um the the other thing is is that and this is kind of going to be a less subtle one is that entrepreneurship shows us what works and what doesn't um it's a testing ground so if someone starts a business and it's an obvious failure fewer people are going to be likely to do it making entrepreneurship of others aren't well others aren't going to follow that so you're going to have you know it's, it acts as a bit of a sacrificial lamb like you a know, useful data point yeah it's a useful data point but even mm -hmm. though it doesn't feel like that no one wants to be that well i'm going to try nobody it. wants to be the lamb <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that's everyone sees themselves as a success which is exactly the way it should be because mm -hmm. they very well could be you're gambling to some extent, but you're gambling with your hard work, which is makes it not too much of a thing. And if you fail, it's because it was a bad idea and not because you failed. Well, where we you learn come, why you failed or how you could have done better next time. Or we whatever. all come up with bad ideas. Like I have a, like you get an idea. It's like, Oh, I got this great idea. I got this great idea. We and then we try a podcast. It. Yeah. I'll start a <laughs> podcast. Uh, uh, yeah. So if you'd like to donate, I have, <laughs> A mailbox, I guess. <laughs> um, I'll give you a but, tax receipt. <laughs> oh, geez. Don't get me started on tax receipts. Um, but uh, it. Sorry. It does show us what works, and it doesn't just. Uh, sorry. And I guess the third point is it doesn't just. It's part of my first point is that it doesn't discriminate. Um, like you don't need to be a white business suit owner waspy guy that you know people seem to hate for no reason uh um to be an entrepreneur you don't have to be this or that uh you can start a business the only thing you need is capital and sometimes not even that um well uh, most labor are, jobs you don't even need that Right. And some people might argue, well, you know, banks are going to be less willing to give um, money to minorities. And the thing is, is that money doesn't work like that. <laughs> um, now, a bank might not give you a loan because, you know, you, maybe they actually are racist. So what do you do? You go to a different bank and you say, that bank was racist. <laughs> well, there's sort racist? of an issue with that because it's down to like, the districting, you know what I mean? When people yeah. live in a certain area and a certain area is predominantly a certain um, yeah. people. And if the bank deems that area to be higher risk and starts charging higher interest, what you're essentially doing in practice is racist. But the math is just the math. If there's just a higher rate of default mm. in that community, then that's just what it is. Whether it looks bad or not, that's just the case. 
But yeah. I think that's more a problem with the way banks are 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 doing the equations to calculate risk. It shouldn't yeah. be based on people's location because you could be living somewhere just because you had nowhere else to live. Or you now, could be living somewhere temporarily because you're really responsible and you're starting a business. Right. And the uncomfortable you're truth about to overpay for rent right as you start your business. So it kind yeah. of makes sense to be in a poverty area when you're starting out. Yeah. But the thing is that it the, the unfortunate other side of that is, is that those neighborhoods do actually suck and are full have a higher it's degree. Nothing about the not full. Sorry, I'm okay. sorry. The not full of people because um, statistically, the, the amount of people that are garbage um, in those are still a small minority. They just do a greater amount of the nonsense, and then they pull others in that probably would have been able to do something with their lives into their nonsense. Um, I'm looking at you, uh, um, drug entrepreneurs, drug, uh, <laughs> drug dealers, which is a business. Let's not get that wrong. It is a business. Very and lucrative one too. It's a very lucrative one, but you know, so is, so are a lot of businesses that cause harm. And so, um, the, and it's run like a business and there's so a lot of we're talking about supporting small businesses. We should be encouraging banks to not discriminate between areas or, or geolocation or anything yeah, like that. Like it I should think, be based strictly on the individual. And I think a lot of what the government's doing is, um, well, they're swinging around hard with, because they're like giving, you know, uh, a lot of, well, they're issuing of, bad loans though. Cause they, they've yeah, got quotas. They're stuff. getting a lot of like social justice stuff out. Like we're going to support black businesses, which I'm like all in favor. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in favor, but at the same but, like, time, how it's they like, go about it is ridiculous. Yeah. And like, if you look at that, I see.gc.ca, there's three black people on the front cover there because <laughs> they want to show themselves supporting and uh, equalizing this type of stuff. Um, now, whether or not that that's going to work or not, um, trying not to be racist. I do here, think that's good for it's the so youth. easy to be racist these days. <laughs> All you have to do is be white. No, sorry. <laughs> I do think it's good for the youth to see black people in prominent positions. That way, they know that it's achievable to them. Like, there's a very latent and subtle psychology behind it. Well, but in I'm Canada, black people are the idea of tokenizing somebody's skin. Yeah. Well, in Canada, this is what I find weird: is that in Canada, black people were just kind of normal middle class for like my entire life. They were never the underclass in Canada. They were either the ones who um, had the smarts and wits to get out of the uh, South uh, through the Underground Railroad, which took a bit of cunning. Or refugees and, from Africa. And ref well, refugees, but most of them were just simple, just immigrants coming in like our families did uh, just later. My and neighborhood so, was only refugees. There was just tons of refugees. Yeah. Like well, the refugees Leone came later. Rwanda and Zimbabwe. Zaire, a lot of Congo. a lot of the black people when I was growing up were just they were all businessmen. Then <laughs> they were just like the like oh you're black like, cool yeah what does your dad do it's like I don't know he's rich or something. <laughs> so like black people weren't this thing now. But the for Canada we have the Aboriginal population, which yeah. is the like in the states. Yeah, the black population has the same exact same problems as the Aboriginal population. Don't yell at no, me. No, no, they they're definitely different, do. but they are. They have. They're in the similar situation. And same with that latent racism and that districting and all those problems with the banks. They apply like in the states. The the red line districting was really bad against the black and Hispanics. But like yeah, 
the aboriginals in Canada face the exact same types of things with reserve lands and now to be fair if you are if your town is on the edge of the arctic circle um there's more than just racism you have to deal with is the fact that like any business that you are going to start has to deal with the worst supply chain spot <laughs> on the planet. Um, it's like, what if I started a business in Siberia? Well, unfortunately, you're breaking one of the rules of entrepreneurship, which is location, location, location. <laughs> well, it's not my fault I was born here. People, no, we're not subsidizing an idea because the whole idea is that it has to exist in competition. Yes, your place does need food. You're going to have to do more than just open a store up there. Unfortunately, because of your location, you have to be more creative than if you're opening uh, a restaurant in Edmonton or something. If you're in Fort Smith or like uh, Tuk Tuk or something and you want to, I got this idea, you know, there's not very many people here, but I think we can still pull off some restaurant, like if an you're indigenous food restaurant. And I'd be like, an indigenous food restaurant. <clears throat> do it. Okay. Yeah, but it's not in Edmonton. Okay, Bannock hold up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, an indigenous food restaurant in Edmonton. You can do that. Mm-hmm. There's probably a bunch of them. Uh, probably not, because like even indigenous po- people like Thai food and sushi. That's that's cross cultural, man. Um, <laughs> but if you want to open one up in like Fort Smith or uh, Yellowknife, well, Yellowknife's an easier one. Okay, but you want to do it in. Um, uh, in, Is it uh, Dawson City or something? Like yeah, something. People absurdly far like that your problem isn't racism your problem is location so you have to be more creative so maybe team up have a synergy with the local you know airport or something to, because you, food's going to be expensive and you want to get that the problem is, is that you have to now think of how can i get this to my customer which is how can i make this affordable for people in Yellowknife? now the thing is, is that it's easier to make things affordable for people in Edmonton or Winnipeg or you know uh Vancouver maybe not Vancouver <laughs> just jack the price um but you can get the, away with a lot in Vancouver like some beer yeah. stores in Vancouver charge like 20 bucks a pint for a beer yeah so i think the problem is is that entrepreneurs have to deal with things that are um that are beyond what a normal person would have to deal with in this now creativity and um now anybody can use money boom money is cross-cultural we, everyone can use it this is a bonus use this as like you guys shouldn't be throwing away money because money doesn't care what color the hand is holding it is in now the other thing is, is you have to deal with certain things that also don't care what color you are distance uh saturation of your idea in the market supply chains Um, whether or not your idea works it's like well the math doesn't check out yeah but it's a good idea it's a neat idea but it does the math doesn't work it's not going to happen your invention is a rock i'm sorry and so these are the things you have to deal with um if you open a store but 13 other people have the same idea at the same time and 13 other people like you remember when um weed got legal and all of a sudden there's just 50 bong stores up and like then like 45 of them died within a week well that what happens just like ideas don't happen in a vacuum you look at um i guess matt ridley's book uh, this one here uh the yellow one is um is uh he just says like ideas happen 
multiple people come up with the same ideas originally at the same time because it's just kind of they're ripe to be picked off of the invasion tree. And so just because you have it doesn't mean someone else isn't having it. Um, so like you have all these hurdles that you have to go. And if you're far away or if you're in a bad neighborhood or if you're in a neighborhood, honestly, that might be an opportunity. Mm -hmm. How can you use that to your advantage? Well, um, you're in a neighborhood full of refugees. Well, I bet they want to eat food from their homeland. And I yeah, or maybe they you, need to speak to somebody in Arabic. Maybe you know how to make clothes that they would think is, you know, they don't, they want to wear clothes that are a bit more tailored to their, uh, different, uh, culture, not foreign, their, their cultural tastes. Thank cultural you. couture. Couture. And so you want to, you know, start a clothing shop for them because, you know, there's nothing else here. And so you can see, but you, the, the key to every single aspect of entrepreneurship is you have to put thought in. And you have to think about it through. You have to grok the problem and you have to find the problem. It's not, you're, you're not starting with the idea. You're starting with nothing <laughs> and hope maybe you have money. <laughs> and I think that's the better way to start a business too. Um, to think of where there's a need and how to fulfill a need rather than saying, what do I want to do every day for a living? And then trying to force that to work. I think it's a lot easier for somebody to start a business where there's already a demand for that service. Like you were saying, with the, if you see like five houses in a row on one street and all the lawns are, are too tall, and you yeah. know that you can do one next door to the other much more efficiently than driving around town to different, you might give a cheaper rate to these people because you can do three or four and just hope that you get, but that creativity sparked from uh, a known demand as opposed to saying, I want to be a singer for a living and then trying to find somebody to pay you to sing. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a lot well, easier to fulfill a demand that's there than to create a demand somewhere else. Well, we see this in innovation. Like you have uh, that one guy who uh, is picking up garbage in rivers in third world countries who just use the river as a garbage bin. And he's just invented this little conveyor belt boat that picks it up real quick and just kind of is half uh, automated. And then he takes all the plastic and he's using, he's also using this thing to clean up the oceans. He's got this big rig thing what cleans up all the, the stuff in the oceans because he saw there's a bunch of garbage in the oceans the size of you know uh australia and it's just like he didn't see like what a tragedy how could we do this to our planet he's like sounds like someone needs to clean that up or plant Wonder? a flag one or the other <laughs> yeah it's just like yeah <laughs> name garbage, the country garbage topia <laughs> uh um all hail king the trash but uh and he's now selling but he's picking up all this plastic which he's now recycling and now he's selling the plastic to make the thing profitable how can i make picking up garbage profitable or what can you turn out of that garbage you know what i mean let's well, yeah you can also create saying, like, things with the plastics or cheap uh like he's selling uh like cheap clothing and stuff out of the thing he's selling it to like anybody who needs plastic is like he can sell stuff to that or it's the same with um there's smog in the atmosphere well we have carbon capture technology now now what what is something that we need in a lot of our technology carbon <laughs> where can we get it the atmosphere mm -hmm. and you see like just they have like cubes of carbon and they're like i can sell this for tons of money <laughs> well especially things like graphite or refined graphene yeah. or something like that like just these new super materials zirconias. what's that 
the cubic zirconias, but yeah, like <laughs> industrial stuff. Like that's small. Like making fake diamonds is small pennies, but there is like industrial uses for diamonds. But like Tons carbon of- is super useful. There's a reason why we're made of it. <laughs> like, and uh, so- that, that's sort of like the other thing moving forward, the best businesses of the future are going to be those types of businesses where people are repurposing um, trash or refuse or garbage or, or things like that. The ones that. that solve today's problems are going to be the businesses of the future. And it won't be like a sexy like title or anything that does it. It's going to be like, I grind up tires and make graphene that people make spaceships out of. You know yeah. what I mean? Or like... <laughs> I'm going to make yeah. a space tether or something that stretches from orbit all the way reclaiming, to Earth out of carbon nanotubes that repurpose from plastics that are pulled out of the ocean or whatever. Well, there's not a scarcity of materials, but we're just not mining them. There's a shortage. And so and it's an energy thing too. So when the price goes up for like there's there's like copper and nickel and everything you need in the Arctic, we're just not getting it because the price of uh, the initial price is so high. Now, when the and price goes up, ecological things, destruction too. Is yeah. A big part of well, that. that yeah, but we have better mining techniques than we've ever had in the past. Who knew fracking was actually going to be beneficial for the environment? No one saw that coming. Uh, <laughs> but well, um, Canada did. We were like the first in the world to do it. Like, yeah, really well. <laughs> and the, um, <clears throat> the 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 price has to go down for a lot of these things, but there's opportunity there. So, but like if the price doesn't go down, and we're not just mining these huge deposits, I don't know landfill reclamation of copper and steel. It's there. It's just sitting there. Go, go get it. <laughs> and but, so, but <clears throat> here's the thing, though: what, like once energy stops becoming a scarce resource, once there's an abundance of renewable energies, and we're looking places to just spend energy, we're going to be able to use a lot of that garbage and stuff, and transportation, uh, logistics, supply chain management. All of that stuff's going to be a lot more prominent to a business, in in my opinion, just looking forward. Because when energy is not a concern, the biggest cost of transportation is wiped out. Yeah. And then you've got automated self-driving cars and and electric vehicles and buses that are even running off like hydrogen and stuff now. Um, you just charge them with the nuclear reactor. Yeah, but yeah, once you have an abundance of energy, you can start doing things like carbon capture, desalination plants. Oh, you yeah, can start irrigating crop crops and like creating farmlands where there were no farms before. And then this land that you bought for ten grand is now worth a hundred and ten grand because it's er- uh, it's not mm-hmm. arid anymore. It's arable. Yeah, and I think creating is- beneficial products like that generative process of small businesses, I think is what's most important. It's that creative aspect and the tolerance to risk because there's always that inherent risk involved in the enterprise. I think one of the last things I want to get into is um, the fact that all these things that you, that we're talking about, um, you know, you have an idea for a hydroponic farm prototype. Why do you need to ask permission to start the business and do it? Don't, ever ask for permission to start something that you think would be beneficial for society well the government deal with the government later you know it's like it's like um doing something at school and then you get in trouble for it even though you knew it was good you can deal with the principal later like who cares you did something that you thought was right i uh saving i remember getting into a fight late for class Hmm? like saving a cat from a tree so you're late for class yeah and or i remember defending myself from bullies and i was you know, I threw punches back and I got in trouble for defending myself. And I was just like, this is not a punishment. Like, I don't feel bad about doing this. I will not 
you know, throw fists in anger. It's like, I'm going to do it. Like just making me write lines about it. And I'm like, that was grade five, I think. And I didn't feel bad about it. I just, you know, something's happening. I, so I dealt with it. And frankly, I was very small. And so I didn't have much capacity to deal with it or, but the, thing is, is that I didn't need to ask permission. It's like, oh, this guy's fighting me. Should I fight back? And they go, no, no, no. I'll deal with this. Thank you for coming to me. You did the right thing. It's like going to the going to the school monitor was not the right thing to do. The right thing to do in that situation was throw my own punch. And this to me is the essence of what you want to do as an entrepreneur. You don't get permission. Just do it. And all you need to do, because if you think you can do it and you think it'll work, just go ahead and do it. And um, I think we put a lot of fake barriers up in our thing. Like we, we, there's definitely like things that are in our way, um, zoning laws that mostly don't make sense. Like, yeah, you don't want to put a rifle range near the... Um, Daycare uh, center. Well, near a daycare. Well, no, there's a giant oil rig processing facility over here. If oh, I make, better. yeah, so you're not allowed to have any like ranges facing that thing. <laughs> Duh. Um, no lead processing facilities near residential areas. That'd be a good idea. But like, this is preferably isn't a... push the mushroom farms outside of town, please. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you keep that oh, the Winnipeg thing? It smells like crap every every summer when it gets hot yeah um so some of them make sense but most of them don't like let them put a thing there and like having city council decide whether or not they it'd be good to have another business here or there and like you have a bunch of businesses like why don't those businesses like if we're gonna punish people for starting a business then you know that's well that's gonna not solve inequality right there um but but even we with my apartments, when I ran my small businesses, all of my apartments for all of my businesses, I had to I had to have them rezoned so that I could operate in my apartment legally. Because if I didn't, then my insurance wouldn't have covered blah, 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 blah. So like my professional errors and omission liability insurance required that my place was temporarily zoned for part commercial use, even though it was just a one bedroom apartment that I was paying for out of pocket. How much so that? like those types of rules are ridiculous Did you because they never get denied. It's just a, an administrative process. Like you invested your time in changing that, which time could be best spent, better spent in, you know, doing your business. Yeah. When you but, look around, nothing changes. Like you're still in the same apartment doing the same work and you don't have customers coming in and out. Like it, nothing changed at all. But you spent eight hours. And there's an administrator who gets paid full time to do that. Yeah. Like receive these requests and process them. Yeah. But there's no data that comes from it. Like there's no net gain. There's just a rule that's in place and nobody changes it because it's always been there. Yeah. So I I think that we work better as a society when we when we exercise that freedom. And sometimes that freedom is a bit you know, it, we butt heads, but that's through conflict we um grow stronger. And if you can demonstrate before you get zoning that your hydroponic building will work and will feed everybody, then everyone's gonna, you know, then the person shutting you down will become the villain. And uh, you'll probably get people knocking at your door being like, yeah, you did that thing. What if I give you $2 million to do it again in my area? Um, demonstrate your worth, 
people are going to be knocking down at your door. They're going to be coming at you with a battering ram to throw money at your face. <laughs> and it may not be something as big as that. If you show yourself to be the best damn baker in Winnipeg um, and you like you open a bake shop, but it fails, but people taste it and it's like, dude, you want to come work for my restaurant? I need a baker. It's there. Your entrepreneurship, now you're working for somebody else, but you've shown your worth. It's a resume to the world. And if it succeeds, well, that's a different career path that you've just happened. You have to be open to that, but you're never going to know if you don't do it. And life's not going to happen unless you push yourself forward. And so, I don't know, the spirit of entrepreneurship. My only only final thoughts on that would be, um, oh, sorry, I cut you off there. Mm. They can rewind and listen to it again. (laughs) My only final thoughts to that would be uh, along the same lines with that, but um, more stressing the education factor, because I think the best education I ever got was just trying to start businesses for the sake of seeing where they would take me. Not everything has to be all in, all or nothing. You can do a part-time business on the side where you're, uh, you know, blowing glass or making beads or, you know, doing a little painting, um, gutter cleaning, like I said, just strictly labor stuff that if you're young and capable and able-bodied that you you could be doing, you should be doing anyway, just to pad your retirement projects while you're slippers. I bought these from an entrepreneur. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, that's the other thing is supporting local business. If you can buy bread from a baker next door who knows you versus some truck that just bakes a thousand, you know, preservative wonder breads and drops them off at, you know, every Safeway and McDonald's everywhere across the country. Um, not to say that that other bread is bad, but just support local and the money stays local. They'll pay taxes locally and those local taxes will help subsidize you when your business fails or whatever. Like if you need yeah. EI or something that their contributions help with that. Well, Whereas international like, imports- When you buy local, Winnipeg and Edmonton aren't running concentration camps. When you buy from China- <laughs> That's the thing. And and really nobody nobody's going to be hurting for paying an extra dollar on a loaf of bread, except for people who are super poor, obviously shouldn't be supporting anybody but themselves like <laughs> it's not their job to support local businesses but anybody who can afford to um just for the small things like candies and you know shoes or hats or clothes one or last whatever. thought though is that on that i haven't finished like, if my you're... last thoughts okay yet, sorry <laughs> no but it comes out of that <laughs> just kidding okay but like you are like when you're selling when you're applying to a job you're literally selling yourself and so what's happening is sort of a bit of an entrepreneurial aspect. And we need to think about hiring ourselves out um, like this, instead of just being like, Oh, I'm working for them. And they're, they're, they're in control of everything. And no, no, I'm gracing them with my effort and whether or not you're good will be for them to decide. But the fact that you're going in there, like when you go into an interview, you're buying them as much as they're buying you. And that's something a lot of interviewees don't realize is that they, you know, they go into it like it's a date that they don't deserve. It's like, oh, you know, you're just the, the prettiest girl. Why don't you, we should That's a really go good in. analog for and it. So you, you need to go in there like, we want each other. Let's just do this. And, you know, that it, it's like, sounds cocky, but if you can actually back it up, like it's okay to be cocky if you can back it up. That's, that's one of the things. 
Even that's if you true. can, I think that's how you learn to back it up is when yeah. you get caught out, when you're trying to be cocky and they catch you out. It's like, that's the realization. Oh, I need to learn a little bit about that or well, I've how got to all deal these, with that. I've got all these books behind me. Jordan didn't read them. It's like, prove that you actually read them. Okay. <laughs> I can, I can back up the fact, like I can just buy books and put them behind me. Like that's, that's easy. It's mm. actually having read them and knowing which ones where and having like, I do need to read a couple of them again, actually, mm-hmm. but I uh, like I'm I I can back it up. So when you are selling your when you're getting a job, you know, don't think of it as like, oh, now I can just do this and not think about it. It's like, no, you are acting entrepreneurially. You're not like starting a business or doing you're still have this product that you are vending out to the world. It's your thing. And you just think about it like that. You don't need to just sit around and doing it. The thing is that you can make the product better. You can enhance the product. The product can go into, you know, you can get sick and your product becomes, you know, it has to go into hiatus or something, but you are still selling something. And so when we think about ourselves entrepreneurially, you can put yourself, you know, it's like, oh, I got to get better to do this. So I have to make my product better. I have to do, uh, I, I do deserve this, this, this job or to work for this company because, you know, my product is that good. Your brand is, you know, I hate people when they say it like that because it's just, everything's marketing. That still bugs me. But I think we're all in an essence in a free society entrepreneurs because you are always selling. Uh, you're always trying to engage in the market with what you have and. But I still do think that we are generally discouraged to start our own businesses. And that's probably because the loudest people in the economy are the biggest players and it's in their best interest to have less competition and more employees. Yes. It's part of us. It's part of the onus is on us to realize that somebody else is going to try to profit from us. And it's not some sinister evil or uh, Mm -hmm. some type of demonic foul play. It's just the nature of business and it's not personal. It's that's what they're there to do is to turn a profit. And the way they do that is by turning labor into money and your time and labor being converted into money is not evil. It's also making you productive and giving you the safety net that you want. Uh, well, out of having I... an employment rather than starting your own business. So right. everything is reciprocal. Even if you don't like your job, you're still there because there is an agreement or an arrangement of give and take. Whether you like it or not, that's just the case and the way it is. And the reason why it's the way it is because that's the most successful way for humans to organize and operate. So yeah. in keeping with that, I just my last point was that um, what I've noticed from most of the people that I did consulting and who I've worked for and with is this sort of overarching mentality of seeking approval from somebody else. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like they want the other person to recognize the greatness of their business or the greatness of their products or the fruits of their labor or to, to validate themselves. They want it from exterior to interior. And that's Mm -hmm. not the way to approach any business or Or life goal, just generally speaking, mental, uh, health or anything like that. Right. You should be starting from the inside out. What do I want to project into the world? What do I, why do I want to start a business? Well, I want the freedom. I enjoy the risk and I want some extra money. That's, those are good reasons. What are some reasons not to start a business? I'm scared. That's a terrible reason. Yeah, I don't have money. Scared. Pick a different business. I don't have the skills. Just start doing it till you know it. Like yeah. there, most people get discouraged by bad reasons. And they're not encouraged because they're absent minded of good reasons. So, um, seeking approval from external 
uh, factors or what do you call them players external actors uh, is what i meant to say yeah i think that should be squashed we should stop doing that and most of it's a mind game it's a mentality that entrepreneurs have that makes them successful in most cases there's also luck because that's why the the numbers are so bad but yeah if if you get kicked down just start again like nobody's limited to one business per lifetime (laughs) we call it luck and luck is actually not a bad word for it like i don't believe in luck per se is like oh luck is with me like there's this god of fortune you know fortuna say coming down and saying the dice shall roll like this because well, there is. if you set up like a mobile nursing yeah, company right but, before covid that would be super lucky if you set right. up a brick building company right before but, covid like, that would be very unlucky even though we know that the dice are being controlled by uh physics we can't do the physics in our head so we call that luck mm-hmm. and it might it's like by any other like it's the best word for it so you the market works it's so complicated and you can't know even as something simple as like a lawn mowing uh thing like you can't know the workings of the universe and like of six billion uh uh economic actors all working in unison uh in like another three billion uh economic entities like companies and businesses and all that and if you're mowing the lawn and all of a sudden there's a drought how the heck could you have known and so this is also why communism doesn't work but at the same time you have to be aware that you can't predict it but you can do your best and your best may not be good enough, but you know, if you, you're never gonna, if you don't roll the dice, you're never gonna win. You know, you miss 100% of the shots that you never take. Mm-hmm. So that's. And the more you fail, fun. the more prepared you are to be a success. That's yes. the way I see it. You should be looking forward to fail so get it behind you so that your next project works. <laughs> yeah. And you can, well, it's like falling, you just hit the ground better and then you get back up faster. Yeah. Learn to be bouncy. Yeah. Bouncy. <laughs> But I think I think we've made a good case for entrepreneurship. I hope uh, so. Education is key. Yeah. Hardness or uh, anti-fragility. Yes. You can do this. Anti-fragile, brother. <laughs> All right. You give them, tell them where to find the rest of our stuff. Yeah. Um, RSS feed, same place as always. Check it out in the description. Um, we've got, what are we, we're on YouTube. We're on Google yeah. Podcasts. We're on iTunes. Wherever you check your iTunes players, yeah. you can always just plug in that RSS feed and get all the latest, uh, latest and greatest from Frivolous Gravitas. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in. Entrepreneurial idea. If you think we're handsome, email us and we'll sell you headshots and we'll sign them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that would sell. Yours might. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got the boyer's charm plastered all over that mug. Boyer's charm. <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week. Oh, tune in next week. Oh, what are we doing for next week? Do you have a... Did we discuss a topic yet? Yes. We might be doing... uh, Do something difficult, which would come off of this one really well. Okay. Something's in the works. I was gonna, I'm thinking we're either going to talk about like safety, corruption, uh, or discipline and effort kind of thing. If we talk about safety, it's going to be a very heavily Jordan Rand centric. (laughs) (laughs) At least it'll be full of humor too. Yeah. All right. We'll see you guys around. Bye. Bye.